coming up on the program. Why 1996 is not the greatest movie year in cinematic history. But we do manage to find a couple that we like to talk about. So uh, check it out. Top 5 Picks from 96. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hey, listener, welcome. It's episode 196 of the Magnificent Huge Podcast. This is Chris, and this week, along with Eric and Brian, I have posed a challenge to the team. Uh, We're looking back at the year 1996. That's 25 years ago as of this recording. It's going to be later than that by the time you listen to it, surely. But my thesis was that 1996 as a movie year is pretty bland. It's not overly memorable. There's a lot of stuff that just, you know, doesn't have an impact. Uh, Obviously, you look at the top 10, there's going to be movies that people go, oh, that is is my movie. That's it. Uh, It made just a ton of money. But we're not talking about the top 10 from the year because none of us really appreciate any of them for the most part. They're just kind of meh. And so my challenge was each of us bring our top five picks for 1996 to the table, and then we'll discuss. Uh, Big year for indie cinema, but also kind of the apex for indie cinema. So you'll hear some of those. There's, you know, we got Disney movies galore. We got action movies. We got dramas. Uh, We each have our own distinct idea of what a good movie for 1996 is. These are definitely not the signature movies from the year, but they are very much close to us. And that's kind of the stepping stone. But the thesis again, 1996, a very bland movie year, and uh, it really just doesn't stand out, apart from what we bring. So hope you enjoy. If you like what we have to say, email us, magnificentlyhugeatgmail.com. You can get us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Sure, why not? While you're there, click along, share us, save us, like us, follow along, uh, and then head on over to our website, maghuge.com. Find the show links and such, and then ultimately... uh, Find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. So without further ado, because I'm still yapping, uh, 1996, Silver Anniversary Top 5 Picks, uh, go. It's your thing. Do what it is that you are going to do with it. It is your thing. Do what it is that you will do with it. I've got a song in my head. It's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Yes, I'm Eric. welcome. That's Hi, Chris. Eric. I'm Brian. And that's, that's Brian. Brian. I'm Chris. That's a hey, flawless it. execution as always, sirs. I do appreciate what, your less showing flaws, us. Fewer flaws that sure. you're going to do yes. with it. With it. No. <laughs> How's everybody doing this week? Uh, uh, you know. Swimmingly. Well, that's I, good. I, I keep seeing all these reports of Texas politicians who are uh, 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 COVID deniers dying of COVID. Yeah, that's mm. funny how that works. Have we gone from Greg Abbott once you dead to we want Greg Abbott dead? Is that what just happened? Uh, <laughs> I, well, there's, okay, there's a, the Texas, one of the Texas flags from the history of Texas is from a place called Goliad from the Texas Revolution. And they had put like a, a cannon on the flag and just said, come and take it. And that's always been like the big Texas 
battle cry. And at some point during the last year with all of Abbott's bullshit, they actually put like an image of him in his wheelchair and said, come and take him because everybody's just <laughs> fed up because <laughs> he's just an ass. And yeah, he, he caught COVID and didn't tell anybody until the day after he went to a big like campaign event and was maskless shaking hands with all manner of people. Etc. Etc. But of course, he gets the big Regeneron experimental treatment shit because he's the governor, which no average person will get. So now he's COVID free. Apparently, four days later, <laughs> that's how yeah. this shit works. It's so dumb, and yet uh, kids are still going to school and getting it, and yada yada. So yeah, yeah. It's Hooray! funny. I, speaking of Texas, I just heard this recently that uh, the true story of the Alamo is that. Uh, 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 like Santa Ana outlawed slavery and the people at the Alamo had slaves. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. Santa Ana was saying, you got to free the slaves because uh, I don't play that shit. Yeah. And that's why the Alamo happened to defend yeah. it, slavery. It, uh, <laughs> it definitely goes against the Texas mythology. That is for fucking sure. Yeah, they don't the, talk the, about that. The, the two guys that wrote the recent book about that were going to give a talk at the Texas History Museum here in Austin. And once Governor or Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Governor Abbott got wind of that, they basically went in because they're on the board of trustees and they said, nope. And so the people that decry <laughs> cancel culture all the fucking time said, you can't talk about this. How dare yeah. you? And they canceled yeah. the talk. And so <laughs> I, I hope the authors then said, I want to thank the governor and the lieutenant governor for selling all these books. Yeah, they jumped high up on Amazon. They like went to the, the top of the list after the fact. So it's like if they'd have just kept their mouths shut, they, you know, been a talk to like two or 300 people yeah. and it would have died. A library talk for Christ's sake. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I can't get out of Texas fast enough. Have I said that before? Do you guys know this? <laughs> Yet you are still there. Yeah. So you're right. You but can. you're yeah, a you foreign correspondent. Out. God. <laughs> I'm, I'm appreciative of Chris being in Texas because it means we're talking about Texas and not Arizona. Yeah. So, hey, what about the fresh shit, everybody? Yeah, Ooh, let's talk boom. about that instead. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit, that is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. I saw some amazing stunt work uh, 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 during the Afghan uh, exit. Did you see the guys falling off the plane? Oh, that was crazy. Jesus. Yeah, that was it looked amazing. Like, it looked like a Mission that's Impossible what, movie exactly what i was about to say it's yeah. like that's what i think you know was was supposed to happen when tom cruise was hanging on the side of that plane yeah well I it's like those guys didn't watch mission impossible and think you could do that well it's like when 9-11 uh, happened i remember being on the other side of the world in like Laos and uh seeing the internet footage and all of us were just like is this real this looks like a diehard movie. What the hell is going yeah. on? I mean, because like we didn't have any information because you're totally cut off. And then after it came out, we're like, holy shit. So yeah, it's funny how life imitates the entertainments. Yeah. Not funny, haha -ha funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, strangely weird. Yeah, strangely, yeah. oddly hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so this week, uh, let's see. Uh, I, I highly recommend... The White Lotus on HBO. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it is it is funny in an uncomfortable way, but one that I can tolerate. I'm not very good with uncomfortable humor, but mm -hmm. this is that. What and what's it about? Like I haven't I, I've seen the the ads and I still don't know what it yeah, is. Is it is it an anthology or is it like a flow through narrative? It's a flow through narrative, but with 
different okay imagine uh fantasy island but nothing supernatural just wildly uncomfortable okay um it's let's see mm. a fa- one family with you know a uh, husband wife uh, son daughter and daughter's friend uh, they're both in college um a a couple on their honeymoon and a woman who's there to scatter the ashes of her mother and they're all fucked up and and the guy who who is the manager of the hotel and there's a whole thing with the masseuse and the lady who's there to scatter her ashes and all you need to really know is everyone is addicted to something everyone has an addiction that is it, it, it kind of it, every everyone is led to tragedy in one way or another because they're all fucked up um hmm. yeah it's it's really worth watching um it, yeah it's a mike white uh created oh okay now yeah I get he you. He, okay. he co-wrote school of rock he uh chuck and buck yeah 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 he's the he's like one of the masters of the uncomfortable comedy <laughs> but in a way i can handle you know, yeah. like, like it's not, I guess maybe because I don't in any way like the people on this show, <laughs> there's yeah. no one here. You can go, oh yeah, I side with them. No, everyone's a dick. Yeah. Mike White is, oh, okay. is like the, the Jim Gaffigan of uncomfortable comedy. Mm. You know, it's just, it's almost to the edge, but it's not quite. So it's actually kind of cuddly almost, I guess. Yeah. The one person on the show I kind of like is the son in that family because he just wants to be left the hell alone, but he's addicted to his screens, you know, his, his, his switch and his phone and his iPad. And he looks just like, uh, I, my wife and I looked it up cause we thought he might've been the son of Toby Maguire. He has that same kind of almost a smile. Looks like he just got hit in the forehead with a two by four look, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not him. Hey, I was Spider-Man. God damn it. Yeah. Hey, what, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing this, this week, uh, season two of, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks is out on Paramount Plus. And this is, I think the only new Star Trek stuff that's even vaguely Star Trek anymore. So interesting. Really? Cause I couldn't make it through the first 10 minutes of the first episode right? because it was so not Star Trek. Yeah. It looked like, yeah. so, I mean, like Kevin Smith doing Star Trek. That's what it looked like. Yeah. It started bad. I'm not going to. I, I had trouble with it too. Once I got through it, I was like, okay, I can vaguely enjoy this. You know, I mean, that's okay. the thing though. Discovery and Picard are that much worse. Damn. Uh, well, that that's tough. Fair. Tough room. Yeah. Do you, do you think they'll make Picard, a Picard is so bad. Yeah. Do you think they'll make uh, a show called upper deckers after this? Ah, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it will well, be. They just no, I don't. The, is it Kurtzman? Kurtzman's the one who's been doing all the Star Trek, right? Well, except for this one. Yeah. He, uh, oh, he's he, not doing that one. He's kind of shut out on this one. He's only like a producer in name. Um, I, can't, I don't remember the name of the guy who created it, but he's one of the writers of, uh, Rick and Morty. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. They just re-upped him for like four or five more years of running Star Trek. Yeah. So. You, do you remember the Rick and Morty where uh, Rick has to lock down the house because there's an alien in there that makes them think they yeah they that one that's, and there's it's like they, full of they, weird people that they guy kill, they kill Mr. Poofy Butthole in that one it's so sad <laughs> hey I'm still okay <laughs> why did you do this yeah <laughs> but um you son of a bitch I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so, so it's that guy who wrote that one. And okay. yeah, it's a good episode. And Lower Decks is, I think, not bad. The thing is, it's not also not canon. You can't, you can't like, sure, treat it like real Star Trek. But yeah, I guess if well, you're a fan of the original animated series, they, you know, it's that only funny. They actually yeah, so- have the enormous Spock in like mentions in this from the animated series from the you know, <sighs> 200 foot tall Spock. <laughs> when I, when I struggled with was that you had essentially modern, you know, Gen Z people, right? Like with a modern sensibility in Star Trek. And the whole thing about Star Trek was it was supposed to be a model of the future society that we'd all evolved to and to stick modern, modern characters in it just didn't, I, I which, couldn't wrap my brain around it. Yeah, which was never actually true in Star Trek. Remember that, like the the episode of the original series when the the whole the whole problem started because Starfleet doesn't allow women captains. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Or uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's like like next gen stuff where they're still trying to figure out. You know what? Being gay is all right. Really. <laughs> 300 years later, it's all right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, my, my concern <laughs> okay, is... But, they, but they, they also weren't... I mean, with the exception of the space hippies in the original series, which I grant you were there, <laughs> um, <laughs> they generally don't have, you know, people with modern attitudes. You know what I mean? Like, well, no one was like on Next Generation saying totally tubular to the max, you know? Well, you know, right. it's this is also the same show that uses the formula uh, historical reference from the 20th century that they'll understand, followed by a historical reference from the 20th century that they'll understand, and then some made-up one right. from the 47th century that no one will get, but they'll assume is yeah. accurate based on that well, timeline. Yeah, there's not a lot of that. There's more references to Star Trek stuff that only like like heavy fans would get. You know, yeah. like 200 foot Spock from the animated series. You got to be. You gotta be really <laughs> bad to know that one, but which is why Eric knows it. Yeah. Yes. But yes. Yes. It just seems uh, like it's it's a it's flirting with diluting the brand that much more. Like Star Wars is about to do. Oh, it's you know the what I brand mean? is mm-hmm. so diluted. But like, it's like whatever. But it's but done. Disney owns Star Wars now, and they've got all these shows in the pipeline on Disney Plus, and it feels like that's pretty much where they're headed. It's just yeah. you know nobody cares except yeah. The Mandalorian like was a blip. Uh, but they think that it's you know the the you know, mm-hmm. the future, but yeah. Star Trek. I think this. I think Lower Decks would have been like a novelty act if the other shows were good. But since the other go- <laughs> shows are just 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 blindingly horrible, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, it's like the best we got. Nice. Um. Yeah, okay. and and a lot of the voices on there are really great improv actors. If you if you listen to Comedy Bang Bang. You know, you, you hear a lot of them on there. Okay. And the guy from uh, The Boys. The, oh shit. The one whose girlfriend gets destroyed in the beginning. He's the main guy. Oh. Okay. Quaid. Something Quaid. Huey. Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid is, 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 you know, the other main voice on there. But otherwise, a bunch of improv actors. Okay. Anyway, that's what I got. That's like a full All week. Right. That is a full week. And that, that might be the last reference to Star Trek I make this show. I doubt it. <laughs> Do you promise? Do you um, fucking no. promise? <laughs> no. 
yeah okay um so i'll i'll segue out of that so i uh what you just told me about the rick and morty writer on lower decks reminded me of go watch the honest trailers for loki the tv series loki (laughs) So, so the honest trailers people for loki point out that loki is written by a rick and morty writer and then they just break down how the entire loki series is just taking ideas from rick and morty and putting them split screen yeah so i'll put a link to that in the show notes um it's funny how that works but anyway it looked like a doctor who episode half the time yeah right (laughs) lots of influences so video games i finished up death's door death's door was a game i mentioned on an earlier show which is um an interesting cross between dark souls and the legend of zelda made by just a small team like a couple of people and it's awesome and i finished it and i i it only cost 15 bucks and and so for people out there who aren't chris and eric who play video games uh highly recommended death's door uh don't skip on that uh the other video game i started playing this week just came out is it's almost the video game equivalent of an art film or an indie film it's called 12 minutes and 12 minutes is a is a story more than it is a game. Um, it's got a ton of voice acting, so it's heavily voiced by um, James McAvoy, Disney Rid- Daisy, Disney Ridley. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, and um, and Willem Dafoe. Was it and was the video th- game like set in the filmmaker's uh, apartment? Because it's an indie, I, kind of. Um, so it's like set a, in did they an program apartment, in like a boom mic, and you can see the boom mic. The entire, the entire. First of all, the <laughs> graphics are nothing to write home again. The, the whole game takes place in an apartment. Oh god! Uh, from a top-down <laughs> view, and it is, it is largely you're trying to navigate this conversation with, uh, you're you're playing the James McAvoy character, and your wife is is Daisy Ridley, and they're having this conversation, and then Willem Dafoe shows up, <laughs> knocks on the door. He's a cop, and like accuses her of murdering her father. Uh, Rester puts her in in zip ties, throws her on the ground, and if you interfere, he cold cocks you. And then you're in Groundhog Day, and the whole thing starts over again. Oh. And so it's a narrative thing where you're trying to like figure out how to navigate the story to move the story along. Uh, so it's it's like a point and click. You like you know walk over to the table and click on the table, or sit in the chair, or talk to. So her it's kind and, of like you know, Leisure Suit Larry, to, but not as interesting. It's well, it's a lot better than Leisure Suit Larry, but it's better than Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> See, when you started <laughs> this description, I'm thinking, man, this is like my dinner with Andre, the video game. So I'm glad that it progressed. <laughs> it's it's. Like it, you know, it's domestic violence. The video game. Okay. Um, it's yeah, it's unsettling. Does uh, at one get point to be you Scottish start to get? This? No, actually, they're 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 both doing American accents. Uh, McAvoy. And um, Does Willem Dafoe get to be Scottish in this? Nope, he's <laughs> no. just Willem Dafoe. So the Green Goblin shows up and Cold got No, um, it is interesting as a piece of interactive fiction. We'll call it that. Like at some point, you you know, you've got agency in the conversation trees to a point, and you're trying, you know, you start trying to figure out ways to convince her that you're in a time loop, and things like that start happening. I haven't gotten too far in it. Um, I hear it gets pretty upsetting. Uh, it's definitely bleak. It's definitely, you know, for grown ups. 
but at least it's an interesting experiment in sort of telling a story with a, with the medium. So give it credit there. It's it's available on Game Pass if you're a Game Pass person. It's like the ideal kind of I didn't actually put any money directly into this. Check it out kind of title. Okay. Hmm. A good way to kill yeah, the time. You know, my my twelve my, minutes. My yeah. Xbox One I think is dying, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, I I think I'm gonna let it, and I'm not gonna get like an, another. I, I think I'm done. I think I'm done because like in the last. What, five years I've had this thing. I, there've been three games I've enjoyed and the rest of them I'm like I'm not I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to play that. I, I yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> Fair enough. The whole wow. thing has left me behind. <clears throat> okay, boomer. So <laughs> <laughs> So I did watch a movie this week. Hit us. Um check Checked out a uh, new release, Reminiscence, with Hugh Jackman. Ah, that looks just... Oh. I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. Really? Yeah, it didn't okay. It didn't grab me at all, the trailer. It it grabbed me for sure. Uh, so Reminiscence is, you know, it's been... It's another movie where Warner Brothers has figured out how to, how to th- burn money, right? Like, they clearly made a full-on theatrical movie. It's in theaters, but they put it on HBO Max, and they didn't charge anybody to watch it like Disney's been doing with their new releases on Disney+. Plus. So it's not going to make any money. Uh, <laughs> just like Suicide Squad didn't make any money last week. But um, this is... Um, it's written and directed uh, by Lisa Joy, who I guess did Westworld for HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a take on the noir films, um, but the setting is sometime in the not too distant future when basically we just fucked up on climate change and the oceans rose and now people have just kind of adapted where they could, but it's in a flooded version of Miami. Um, and really the only new technology we see in this thing uh, at all is this tech that I guess was made for some war that's referenced, which is kind of mm, discardable. They could have edited all the war references out of the film, I think. But, um, but it is this machine that allows... Um, people to guide folks to see their own memories and this is used as a as a narrative device Uh, Hugh Jackman's character is really good at guiding people through their memories and he ends up going down a rabbit hole with double crosses and femme fatales and all kinds of shit Um, it also reunites him with his co-star from The Greatest Showman, Rebecca Ferguson um who gets to play the femme fatale role. And um, I really liked it. I think the script was tight. Um, the twists and turns were just twisty turny enough, but not like absurd. It has a, a kind of memento inception thing going on where we'll transition out of scenes, realizing we've been watching a memory and things like that happen. Um, and it's it's very the cinematography is very very sort of digital cameras you know like trying to be Roger Deakins but not quite making it but it's still really good looking movie mm. um it's not getting great reviews I really liked it Jolene really liked it I don't I don't know what's up with the reviewers I thought, I thought it was really a derivative. good watch 
it's, <laughs> maybe sure, that's just right the way Brian's like, describing it. I'm trying to think though. There was there was a Ray Fiennes movie in Strange like, Days, the late nineties. Strange yeah, Days. Yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah, yeah I suppose it's Nolanized. got some of that. Well, when I watch the trailer, I get a vibe like Dark City, Thirteenth Floor, Elevator, whatever. Uh, I mean, it just it didn't seem like anything. Whiz bang, gotta see it. It just nothing about it said watch this movie. I don't know. Huh. Plus, yeah, I guess I'm just in the minority on this one. I liked the trailer. I thought the movie was good. I had a good time. Uh, okay. Man, I mean, it, we've been in this incredible desert of movies, and here's a new one that's actually worth two hours of your life. So, yeah, I recommend it. It's on HBO. Okay. I'll check so, it out. Because you said yeah. so, and I'll blame you if I don't yeah. like it. Sure. Yeah, you'll come back and be like, God, I was so bored, Brian. It was so driven. <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, I mean, but... And well, I was I was looking for that hallway full of rabbits the whole time. I didn't see them. <laughs> well, Sorry. I still haven't I had s- to. I heard that, and the first thing I thought were a bunch of bunnies in the hallway. Yeah. Well, I still haven't seen Tenet, <laughs> so I may I may just. Oh, have I'd to- recommend this over Tenet. Okay. Tenet. Tenet. Yeah, Tenet is so up its own ass. Tenet doesn't make any sense unless you've seen one it through nine it. <laughs> yeah. Bam. Oh. <laughs> Nobody puts Eric in a All corner. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, what's your fresh shit? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I've just, I've reached the point where just nothing seems interesting at all. I flip through and I just <laughs> flip through and flip through and I finally just give up and watch like the third thing I find. And so this week was uh, 1983's uh, Lassiter starring Tom Selleck. And it's, oh my God. Yeah, it's Wow, you have reached a bad point. It's yeah. it's one of okay. those I watched on Showtime back in like 1986 when I was, you know, 15 and had nothing better to do. Uh and it's just it basically it's it's a heist movie set in the 1939 London. He's a cat burglar who gets uh picked up by the London cops and coerced into doing a diamond heist at the German embassy. It, I mean, the, the whole thing is, is it a heist movie? Do they want to do it like a World War II adventure thing? I mean, it's just bleh. Uh But it's got Tom Selleck. <laughs> it's got Jane Seymour. It's got Lauren Hutton. It's got Bob Hoskins. I mean, it's just this weird, like, hey, let's just do a movie and let's see what happens. But it's part of that, like, <laughs> post Raiders of the Lost Ark where I think Tom Selleck was trying to kind of assuage his conscience. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. And so he had done High Road to China, and while he was doing that, he had optioned the script for this thing and pitched it to Golden Harvest, who said, sure, let's do it, because he said, it's always good to have another film in the bag while he's doing Magnum P.I. And he's like, he was concerned with doing two period pieces in a row, but he liked it. But everything about that High Road to China suggests that he just really kind of <laughs> felt pretty pissed off that he missed this opportunity to do Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it's just, uh, as a heist movie, yeah. it's pretty bland. As a World War II adventure spy thing, it's really bland. Uh, it's just, I don't remember anything about it even now after having watched it again. <laughs> yeah, that's why I had no memory that it existed, yeah. I think. I, I mean, I, as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that was a thing that happened yeah in the 80s sometimes the only thing notable about it is when the credits roll and you get this uh 
like modern <laughs> when it ends. you get like a modern-y uh, pop song that sort of reflects the Gershwin era and I'm listening to it I'm like holy shit this is Taco remember putting on the Ritz I'm like this is Taco beware of the women they grab life and make the most of it they don't give a damn if one or two hit the gutter beware and it's because he's got this the this, that very signature voice uh to his songs and i'm like i'm this i'm letting the credits roll so i can verify this because i don't want to look it up online and my wife is standing there going why are we still watching this i'm like because that's taco she's like holy shit you've watched way too many fucking movies (laughs) (laughs) and sure enough it was taco so wow yeah taco had another song everybody you didn't know that but now you do well it's sort of like uh What's his face from uh, Kajagugu did Neverending Story? It's that vibe. Limal. You know? Yeah. Yes. See, I remember Lassiter because in the eighties, uh, uh, Tom Selleck was the um, um, the guy. The Tom Selleck. The guy. God <laughs> the damn Reynolds. it! <laughs> Head worky. No. Uh, Harrison Ford. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop talking because I suck. George Harrison. Uh, <laughs> Are you trying to compare yeah, him to some other sure. actor? Yeah, yeah, some uh, other actor who's like a big deal and is like sort of like like guys aren't threatened by him and chicks want to do him. I'm trying to yeah. think of who. It's it's yeah, the mustache, the ER like, guy. Oh, George oh. Clooney. George Clooney. Thank you. Okay. Fuck me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the eighties. Well, his early movies are just, it's weird, because it's almost following the Harrison Ford track, but doing it in a really obviously not good way, because <laughs> it's like, Raiders, He's, and then High Road to China, and Laster, and then he and then Harrison Ford. Cause I would, He's like the Jean-Claude Van Damme, yeah. or the Steven Seagal of, of Harrison Ford movies. Well, yeah, but he's like always like two steps behind. Harrison Ford comes out with uh, like Blade Runner, and then... Right. Right. Selleck's doing Runaway. I mean, it's Runaway. just like, like really terrible, <laughs> terrible versions of these better movies with Harrison Ford. So it's just, <laughs> I feel bad. It's not like everybody knew that he was going to be in Raider. I mean, that, that was like years before. Oh, that, I know. You know I know. know. But his film output is uh, not great, shall we say. But he, got, he was locked into Magnum P.I. until like 1988. So I feel kind of bad for him as well. So, oh, do we feel bad for him for having a TV show for that many years where he got to live in Hawaii? Do we? Do we yeah. feel bad? Yeah, okay. I guess not. I mean, it's not until like <laughs> he gets to do Quigley Down Under that you, you kind of see him getting out from under the shadow a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Lassiter, oh, it's no. on HBO Max if you feel like wasting two hours of your life, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> That's. And that's all, all I've right. got. It's been such a suck ass week. Sorry, fellas. All right. So, uh, this is the 25th anniversary, the silver anniversary of 1996, right? That's how math works. Uh, and so, not how anniversaries work, but yeah. Well, you, whatever. Uh, and my, my thesis <laughs> it's the 10, 10 minute anniversary of 10 minutes yeah, ago. Yeah. It doesn't quite. Well, when I pitched it, this was something that had been rolling in my head. I'd been looking for uh, another 90s show just for shits and giggles because we haven't done enough of those yet. And I looked at like the listings for year by year. And for some reason, I kept coming back to 96 because it's just on the surface, it's such a shit year 
for cinema. Uh, but then I start looking through the actual deep dive of all the features released that year. And there's actually some really good ones, but they didn't make any money. And so I think it tends to get <laughs> lost in the grand scheme of 90s movies. Uh, so I thought I would... I, I, I'm going to say, okay, but I mean, man, that was definitely some digging. Yeah. I think you, you, you just aptly described this podcast. It's mostly yeah. shit, but there's some gems in there, and we don't get paid for anything. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> no money uh, is made. But the, the challenge was to uh, each of us bring f- uh, our top five movies. Like, could we find actual bona fide good cinema from 1996? So to set the stage, uh, a, a couple things I want to do here. So the first, we'll do our normal top ten movies of the year. So these are the ones that made all of the cash, and they're all just garbage as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, so starting with number 10, Space Jam. I've still never seen it. I don't need to. It's a travesty on all counts for uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. Looney Tunes just get shafted. I don't care. If you all have but an opinion on this. it is a very smart money play because they were yeah. like, okay, do a kid's movie. And yeah. Do a kid's movie parents will like. Include some sports. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it was it, like I it know, was invented in a lab there was to the make hair cash. Jordan. <laughs> there was the hair Jordan Nike commercials. Yeah. And they're like, let's make a movie of that commercial. And then here you go. Like. It's like, bleh. that's all it was. So no, thank Yuck. you. I don't, I just, I'll, I'm not the demographic for this thing and I never have been. So good on you. If you like it, uh, you're probably that way. Was the than number I. one grossing film though? No, that was number it 10. Did more movies, than man. the rock. Oh, okay. Kid, uh, kids, parents put their kids in front yeah. of movies. That was, that was yeah. number 10. Number nine was Jerry Maguire, the Cameron Crowe follow up to whatever he did before, <laughs> before this. I don't remember. <laughs> Say anything. Uh, Almost famous. No, Almost Famous came out in 2000, so... Okay. Uh, this was, like, his big to-do, because it got the Oscar nods, and it's got all the quotable dialogue, but it's just garbage. There's, like... It's all of the cliched lines of dialogue that people get from movie rom-coms, but you don't remember it's from this movie. Like, You Had Me at Hello is from this. Uh, it's just, you know, show me the money! It's just unwatchable these days i can't get through it i don't know your opinion on it but it's just i watched it once found it annoying never need to see it again yeah and i had next i had managed to avoid it forever and i was dating a girl who finally made me go see it at the dollar movies and so just i went and i'm like okay (laughs) whatever uh a great movie for people who don't like movies i don't know yeah it's terrible i can do without it uh number eight the Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy playing 10,000 roles, none of which are funny. Uh, I just don't understand this movie either. He's got a big boner for Jerry Lewis, and this was his opportunity to sort of uh, get it out of his system, I guess. But is, this, is there some SAG rule where he gets paid more if he's got multiple roles? I guess. I don't know. Like. Is that what coming to America? Because really, this is just a for him as a riff on. I really enjoyed putting on a bunch of different makeup yeah, for coming to America. Basically, so now that's my thing. But then when you get uh, Tropic Thunder coming out and you get Jack Black doing the fatties, which makes fun of Nutty Professor, uh, that's mm-hmm. infinitely better <laughs> than anything I've ever seen in Nutty <laughs> Professor. So enough about that. Uh, number seven, I've still never seen this one. Ron Howard's Ransom with Mel Gibson. Give me back my son. Give back my son. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that. That's, just, I actually ugh. like that film. I hate to admit it. And really, and every time I think of it, I'm like, but Ron Howard made it. How is it I like this film? Yeah. You know? Seriously. It looks just I like, like a standard throat. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but it's like a really great bad guy. I mean, is that Gary a really Sinise? great bad guy. Yeah. Is it? Okay. And that's you after really Apollo Eleven. That out. Right? Yeah, it's like the whole time you think he's 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 the helpful cop because he's Gary Sinise and he always plays the sort of paternal good guy. And then suddenly he's just, you know, an abominable shit. And you go, oh, okay, yeah. we're cooking with gasoline here. I'm going to torture your child on the phone unless you give me all the money. And that's the scene where Mel Gibson, like, loses his shit and says, go ahead, you fuck face. I'll find you. That's yeah. terrible. No, the best part of the movie, I think, is this. From this day on, anytime your kid leaves this house to go to school, go play, see a friend. To buy a fucking comic book, you're going to have to ask yourself, is today Jimmy Shaker Day? I got to him once. I'll get him again. Huh? Wasn't that good? Oh, that, that was, was a, a good clip. clip. That was a good yeah. clip. I'm still not going to watch I'm this I'm putting movie. the cricket sound effect there just for <laughs> reference. Fuck but, you. No, yeah. you're not. You're going to put in the clip. <laughs> oh. So number six, moving along, the uh, the live action version of 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close as Cruella. Yeah. Didn't see it. It's from the director of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Mr. Holland's Opus. Uh, there's really no reason for that to exist other than Disney just wanted to make some cash. Uh, I don't know how they managed to make a sequel to it, 102 Dalmatians, but there you have it, years later. Apparently they had another dog. Yeah. Uh, that's on the heels of number five, which was The Hunchback of Notre Dame, back when the classic Disney cartoons were rocking it. And Okay, actually just... actually not a bad one. Like, <sighs> really? That's okay. Okay. I just didn't I mean, buy it. This is, well, it's it's a Disney cartoon that doesn't, I mean, okay, the gargoyles are a little goofy, but but in general, isn't pandering to the audience so much? Yeah, like that that whole business about you know, like the the religious dude who's like, she will love me or she will burn. Like that's that's a hardcore villain song for for Disney. I was okay <laughs> I with guess. that. I, I don't know, I, and I did appreciate how they took uh they 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 made a good guy out of the guy who in the book tries to rape Esmeralda. That's pretty. That's pretty neat. Yeah, well, it's a Disney film. You kind of have to soften the rough edges, yeah. I guess. I don't know. But it's like it's like I'm always I'm always looking for okay, what can Disney do to outdo how awfully they do these things, you yeah. know? And and <laughs> sort of hero heroing a a a rapist. That's oh, that's mwah. yeah. Well, this was just part of that whole every year you get a new cartoon and it's just a law of diminishing returns. I was so done by 1996 with the Disney shit that, you know, but I worked in a blockbuster and so you had to hear the cartoons all the time. It was on the the promo right. reels and I maybe it just infected my brain. I'm I was just sick of them. So sick. This is definitely the point at which you could see okay, we're we're for sure on the downslope of the Disney Renaissance, yeah. right? Like it we're <laughs> yeah. going back Did, down on the quality level. Was Pocahontas before or after this one? I think it was remember. after. Okay. And and then it just keeps, you know, just keeps degrading. Yeah. I mean, Tarzan was all right, but the, <sighs> but I mean, yeah, it just keeps yeah. I I anyway. re- I recently tried to watch Atlantis and I got about 40 minutes in and had to turn it off cuz it was just dreck. It was terrible. And that was sort of the one that just put the nail in their classic animation coffin. So Yeah. Ugh. That's well, that's that's kind of when uh, um, Pixar started to take over, right? They were like, yeah, run, we just run do this shit better. Yeah. yeah. So, ugh. Uh, number four, The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. 
Michael Bay. Glass or plastic? Glass or plastic? God damn it. I went and saw this in the theater <laughs> and walked out angry and said, I am never going to pay money for a fucking Michael Bay movie ever again. And to this day, true to my word, never paid money for any of it. Because hmm. it's just you know irritating. Nothing. 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 <laughs> this is the one where I'm like, I was reading all about everybody gushing over his frenetic editing style. And then at the time, that was when the Avid thing had first come out and you could do digital editing. And so I'm in the theater watching the movie because I was so bored that I started counting 1-1000 between edits to see how long. And I think, the, <laughs> I think the longest cut was like five or six seconds for the entire movie. Yeah. And I was just so irritated by the time I left. I'm like, fuck this guy. Fuck you. <laughs> so- imagine, imagine somebody who looks at the phrase, you're boring. Uh, the way a lot of guys look at a woman saying, you have a tiny dick. Yeah. Now that is him. And he's afraid to linger on any one shot too long, lest somebody decry his manhood by being boring. You know, yeah. so we're going to go here, 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 here. It's yeah. just so stupid. There's no thinking at all. Yeah. It's, it's just, almost it, lazy how much yeah. work he puts into all that editing. Yeah. And it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a, almost lazy how much work he puts. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to actually like like map out, you know, a a a shot, something yeah. that you can visually get something out of. Even James Cameron knows how to do that, but yeah. but you know, this guy is just well, ah. yeah. This one set the bar pretty low and kind of spurred a whole bunch of other dreck. It's a criminal misuse of Sean Connery, and it set the I stage. I've even seen The Rock. That's one oh. of one of those movies I haven't bothered. Yeah, you're with. not missing with it. Uh, but it sets the stage for Nick Cage being uh, an action star for a few years, which is just ludicrous on so many levels. So it's terrible. Uh, number three, the only one on this list that I'm almost on board with is the first Mission Impossible done by Brian De Palma. Uh, yeah, I didn't it's, put this on my list, but I, I at least considered it. Yeah, I was, I was teetering like, it's not quite top five. It may be top ten, kind of. Uh, it's definitely the second or third best Mission Impossible movie overall. Uh, but it just, eh, it's Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, and that just irritates me when he's doing that. Because it's not quite a franchise yet. This is the first go around, and so it's not quite uh, a thing yet. And so it just seems too much like him just, I'm a big star. Look at me. Hoo hoo hoo. <laughs> so, ugh. But and it uh, was the beginning of every spy movie is about a mole. Every yeah. single fucking spy movie is exactly. there's a guy on the inside who's dirty. Uh, I mean, the, o- the only real saving grace for this movie is uh, Henry Cherney as Kittredge, who's the, the CIA guy <laughs> yeah. who's after him. And he's just, he, Henry Cherney just plays an ass so well that you just, you want to hate him, but at the same time, you're marveling at how much he makes you want to hate him. And that's, that's good acting right there. He's just great at it. But you get like the red light, green light bullshit. They fly a helicopter through a fucking train tunnel. I mean, it's just ludicrous on so many levels. They they do squoosh Emilio Estevez on the top of an elevator. That's That's true. Well, they kill the entire opening team. That's, I give it props for that. (laughs) I give it props for that. Because at that point, you're like, well, shit, everybody's in jeopardy now. That's awesome. Yeah. But that's De Palma, just kind of on auto. Uh, number two is Twister. Fucking hate this movie Ugh. with all of my being because there's no reason I, for it I, to exist. Another movie I haven't seen, but like, I just remember that like 
when Twister came out on DVD, right? Like that was the movie that every store put on yeah, every screen. Exactly. Like, exactly. Twister is playing by a DVD player. Twister. Yeah. Cuz Look at Twister. all this. Look at all this CGI wind. Ooh. I mean, that's literally the whole movie. In between just really shitty Michael Crichton trying to <laughs> do human drama with a bunch of scientists. Just uh Helen Hunt and uh oh shit, what's Bill his Paxton. name? Bill Paxton. Chet. Uh as divorced uh, couple sort of just having their thing and then they're doing like the banter and then there's a whole team around them trying to study tornadoes and ah, it's just awful there's no reason for it to exist i have this thing now where when when i'm you know drunk that that I, i i i don't know how this got started but but i i i hear the movie phone guy if he had tried to be an actor. And so like, like with Twister, I think, I think you'll find that's the same cow. You know, it's like every, it's exactly every bad one, yeah. but I love doing the Twister one with him. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's such a, a waste of talent all across the board. And it's Yonda Bont's follow up to speed, which is just, uh, and this one I think made more money than speed. So I don't know what the deal was there. It's just awful. Uh, and the number one, obviously, is Independence Day, which is another movie I just hate. Uh, it's just... <laughs> we did a whole episode on how much I hate this. Yeah, movie. we already did a like, Roland Emmerich thing, uh, um, and this was one of the movies that we lambasted, because it's just, you know, Will Smith doing Will Smith. Welcome to Earth! That's literally the movie. Uh, it sucks. I, so hard. I, I, fuck I got, Independence Day. I, I went with some friends, and we... We did a bar hop before the movie, and so I pretty much just fell asleep halfway through. And then I think I woke up when they're at Area 51 and Brent Spiner was there. And I'm like, what the fuck is Data doing here? And I was confused. <laughs> I thought I was in a Star Trek movie. So, uh, so enough said. So, collectively, the top 10 movies made like $5 billion or whatever, something stupid. Uh, going, th- going through the list, I was actually amazed at how many movies were there that I thought I liked and like right upon reflection I'm like wait no these yeah. all kind of sucked they're terrible <laughs> even the <laughs> even the till dawn yeah uh Romeo plus Juliet I can't yeah. watch that happy it's, Gilmore well I think it's some it's summed up by the 69th annual <laughs> 69 uh Academy Awards uh the best picture nominees were shine does anybody remember Shine? No. Uh, Secrets no. and Lies. Does anybody remember Secrets and Lies? No. No. Jerry Woody, Allen, Will, right? Woody Allen, I think. I think so. And uh, Shine okay. is what gave us um, that, that Australian actor who, again, can't think of his name. Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush, yeah. Who's actually pretty good. Uh, Secrets and Lies was Mike Lee. Uh, oh. And then, and then you get uh, oh. the popular favorite, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> because it's just... Uh, it's got basically the Academy Award jizzing all over itself, uh, written all over it. Uh, then you get Fargo, the Coen brothers. I think this was their first nod, uh, which, you know, I, I kind of agree with, and I think Fargo should have won. And then the one that did win the top prize was The English Patient, uh, which, uh, which uh, is not a terrible movie, but it's also kind yes, of forgettable. <laughs> and it's literally just like, hey, we saw Lawrence of Arabia. We kind of like that vibe. Let's just make this. It's got Oscar bait written all over it. And I think this was the start of Miramax basically just uh, steamrolling anybody uh, and everybody to get the Academy nods. 
because it's just it's so like deliberately Oscar baity that it's almost irritating. Yeah. So yeah, but you know, I ever I remember, and the thing is, I remember seeing it in the theater and going, "Oh, I like this," and like every other time it was ever on, I would see it and I'd go, "Ew, this is stupid." It's like yeah. somehow. I, I don't know. There was something in the theater that made me think I was watching art when actually I was watching yeah. cynicism. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's a, that's literally <laughs> it. When I, when I watched it, at the time I liked it uh, because it had all of the trappings of like a Lawrence of Arabia and whatnot. But after the years progress, the shine kind of wears off and you're like, this is, there's no purpose for this movie other than to just be an Oscar machine. Because it's, I think you guys just gave me the phrases that sum up 1996 entirely. At the time, I thought I liked it. I thought it was art, but it was just cynicism. Yeah. That's like the entire year. Yeah. <laughs> and sadly, I will say this. This is the only caveat. 12 Monkeys does not count because it was released in 95. So you can't say 12 Monkeys. I was kind of pissed oh, at that because I wanted to say 12 Monkeys, but no. Probably, probably also not 12 Monkeys off out. my list then, because that was one of the few salvageable <laughs> movies. So. Sorry. Nope, not 12 Monkeys. Sorry. Okay. We're, uh, worth pointing out, this is uh, that, that time in history when Gen X kind of owned culture. So this is what yeah. it looks like when, you know, we have the reins. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But, but <laughs> I mean, there were like, I don't know, a couple hundred wide releases for the year, uh, 1996. <laughs> Couple and, hundred movies we don't like. Yeah, and <laughs> came there, out and there are actually uh, more than five that I actually went. Oh, hey, yeah, that was ninety six. Okay, were there? Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna okay. find out. So uh, the challenge was to bring our top fives, arbitrary or not, uh, to see what might commingle, like what will cross over or not. Also to get a picture of where our mindsets are for nineteen ninety six. Like what was our thing? So I am curious to hear and. and- where they were and where they are. Because if you think of it, yeah, like a lot of these movies, again, I was looking at them going, oh, wait, I like that one. No, I don't. It's, <laughs> it's like a difference exactly. between where we were and where we are. Exactly. I want to hear Eric's list based on this. Like, yeah. What do you got? Yeah. Give us okay. your top five. Eric. You want to do five to one? Let's do five to one. I'm doing five to one. Yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. So number five, Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks is still okay. funny. And I the gotcha. fact that it came out the same year as Independence Day and basically said, you know that movie you liked? Well, fuck you. I think that's Mars actually attacks. why it didn't do well. <laughs> because most people saw it and they recognized in themselves the, uh, what the film was making fun of. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, that was hackneyed and cliche, that thing I liked. This movie sucks. <laughs> yeah. you know? It's it's Mars Attacks me. is my number one for all the reasons that Eric really? just put out. <laughs> Absolutely. It's I, it was like the antidote to Independence Day for me. Yes, I love it. Exactly. Because yes, yeah. it came out a couple months later, and it's just basically every, everything that Independence Day wants to be, Mars Attacks really is. And it's so yes. weird that it, Mars Attacks wasn't trying to be uh, a refutation of Independence Day, but at the same time, it totally is. So it's it, just it funny. might be the most recent. Uh, if I'm going back through Tim Burton's filmography, it might be the most recent Tim Burton's film that I wholeheartedly endorse. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's so weird too because Jack Nicholson playing the dual role. He's the <laughs> He's that crazy cowboy casino dude, and then he's like the president or whatever. Ah, it's just yeah. so fucked up. And then they put a uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's head on a on a dog on a chihuahua. <laughs> so brilliant. 
Yeah. Good oh, times. Oh god. Yeah, that that whole movie is just just yeah. just beautiful. I and I'm always like, how did they not know what was in Independence Day? Like, was it that like well, like was Kismet that strong? <laughs> I, or well, did Tim Burton walk around a corner and see them filming Independence Day and went really? Oh dude, and just started taking notes furiously. I, I'm gonna I, do this and I'm gonna I, do this and I'm gonna I think who's knowing, the who's the I was knowing uh, Roland Emmerich, I think Independence Day is literally just lifted from every 50s invasion movie that Tim Burton loved as a kid and made Mars Attacks <laughs> as a love letter to. So I think it's just this weird serendipitous thing, honestly. So, so spoiler alert, but the, the aliens are ultimately defeated by the horrible singing of, I think, Slim Whitman. Is that his yes. name? Yeah, yes. yeah. So, so like this, and you have to understand that if you're Gen X, right, you grew up watching UHF TV and there were these commercials for like, you know, record compilations of people and Slim Whitman was a staple of that. And so it was like Slim Whitman's greatest hits and the fact that Slim Whitman is the thing that, that makes alien brain ex- brains explode was just now for the Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Chef kiss. Chef kiss. We proudly yeah. offer the fabulous hits of Slim Whitman, the man voted number one international male artist in England four years in a row. Here is all the magic of Slim Whitman, the international star who has sold 31 million records. Alright, number four. All right. Number four, train spotting. Okay. Train spotting always. I knew works. one of you was gonna hit train spotting. All right. Yeah. I, 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 I seem to see it every few years and I just go, still, yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, uh, this, this a heroin junkie trying to get off the junk and despite like his shitty friends. But what makes this film so great is that every character is fully realized and not overly serious, despite exactly. the 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 content. It's like yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's it's almost a fun cartoon about heroin. Yeah, it's. Uh, I gotta tell you, it's it's my number one pick for the year. This is the this is the movie from 1996 that had the most impact it. on me. Uh, I, I knew it. I must have seen it like four or five times in the theater. I mean, I was just, I, it was like like shooting heroin. I could not get yeah. enough because it's I, it's darkly funny. The soundtrack is amazing. The performances are on just spot on. It's just mm-hmm. perfect. And you're always looking at scenery that is just dingy, shitty, and awful, and yet you don't really notice the, you know, it's not like you're, the film is nauseating in its visuals. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think in the first, it's one of those few films, like in the first 10 seconds, I'm like, whoa, I am in. Yeah. You know? Well, they, they just, they Uh, nail it. And the beauty of it is that it's, it's an independent uh, production and they only made it the, just a hair under 2 million pounds, I think was their budget. mm -hmm. Uh, so they did a lot of practical stage effects, like when he falls through the floor, when he does his overdose, and the, mm-hmm. the worst toilet in Scotland, it's basically just chocolate muse, like spewed all over the walls, so like poo. Uh, yeah. So they do all these like practical things. But this was the movie that had the biggest return on investment for the year. I think it ended up making globally 80 or 90 million on like a 2 yeah. million budget. So and it, good for it them. It created a Danny Boyle. Yeah. yeah. 
And the book yeah, is just. And I, I had cute. gone to see it because I had seen Shallow Grave, I think, the previous year. Yeah. And really dug it, you know. And so it's Danny Boyle and and Ewan McGregor coming back for another one, and, and yeah. And, <laughs> I, I remember coming out to visit you in California. You were like, "Oh fuck! I just saw this film. They're all Scottish and they're shitty people, and they rob a bank." And dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the beauty of oh. Train Spotting is it. Uh, it's very. Uh, faithful to the the source novel by Irvin Welsh, uh, and they kind of had to hack it to to bits to kind of find a narrative. But uh, John Hodge wrote the screenplay, and he's basically saying, "I'm going to create what looks like a narrative movie out of these little short story snippets that don't have any real connection beyond just the weird sinew of the heroin subculture." And he he nails it. It's almost like it's a real screenplay arc, Act One, Act Two, Act Three. But it's not. It's very deceptive. So I yeah. love it. Top to bottom. Soundtrack is awesome. Because as well. ultimately it's like a bunch of shorts, but ultimately it it's it's all about rent and his arc. You yeah. know, him finding his way yeah. in all these little adventures. And I think that's what I like too, is that you get it in little bite-sized pieces. Yeah. And the dialogue is just <laughs> fucking hilarious. And after right. that, the game was mine. And then Beggy uh, starts okay. to fight. I got to I got to I'm going to jam through these cuz so far yep. it's all Eric's top 5. Um Breaking the Waves is a great film. Interesting. Um, I, I, I've never it? heard of it. Von Troyer? Uh Oh, Von Troyer. Okay. Von Troyer. Von Troyer. It's it's a it, Okay, it's a movie about a woman who's kind of dim who's married to an oil worker who becomes a quadriplegic. And she's a very good woman. She loves her husband. And her husband tells her he wants her to go fuck other guys and then come back and tell him about it because he can't have sex with her. Good crikey. So she goes around like having sex with all these people telling her about it. And she gets like a name for being a whore around town. But of course, she's only doing it because he's asking her to. And she's kind of dim, but she's good. It's yeah, it's it's um, heavy. It's very heavy. And well, yeah, Lars von and, Trier. And it Go is ahead. also a response to that whole um, what what is that that filmmaking? Uh, oh, the dogma, uh, whatever. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, the dogma thing. It's like his dogma film in that everything is real sets, real lighting, real sound ish. But then he does stuff like it ends with a CGI of bells ringing. Every every uh, um, chapter of this film is split up by a you know some shot of nature while elton john plays a song you know it's like it's it's like i'm gonna do this but i'm not (laughs) here's here's me using dogma the parts that work and then rejecting it where i feel like it yeah Mm. beyond that though it is a beautiful heartbreaking film i love it uh you gotta see it number two lone star I forgot yes. Lone Star was 1996. Yeah. What is Lone Star? That one was Lone on my Star. sort of alternate list. It's so amazing. Right. Chris Cooper? Yeah. Chris Chris Cooper okay. is a sheriff and he is his dad was the sheriff of this town in Texas. And he is hunting down a mystery that his father may or may not have murdered uh, a bunch of illegals. Uh years ago the town wants him to forget it because they have such great memories of his dad he wants to find the truth because frankly he doesn't like his dad and at the same time a girl he dated in high school who his 
dad made him break up with is back in town and they may or may not rekindle their romance. There's a lot going on. It's very good. Yeah. It's uh, it's very, very good. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey, early role for him as the dad in the flashbacks. And he's Mm -hmm. just an asshole. He's just so good in it. His performance is amazing. And McConaughey's. You ever shot a man who's looking you in the eye? Oh, it's yeah, very good. <laughs> and uh, um, it's, yeah, it's John Sayles as well. So you know yes. the script is just spot on. And the funny thing about this one is that uh, uh, like 12 years ago now, I took a, a history class for, for my uh, college courses. And the teacher actually made this one of the final deals where we watched Lone Star and then we had to pick apart where it references texas history and how that relates and it literally is a blueprint of texas history especially around the border it's so weird when you watch it into that prism <laughs> wow it's Two like, texas history references in one podcast episode yeah. everybody <laughs> but it's yeah, but it's it's phenomenal when you watch lone star from that perspective you're like mine just explodes it's crazy such a good <laughs> <laughs> number mm. one Number one, uh, the, the the film that is better than all of these, Star Trek: First Contact, the <laughs> best <laughs> next gen film. I uh, yeah. knew it. Where you where the bastard. Enterprise has to go back in time to prevent the Borg from interfering with uh, uh, the day of First Contact, which is also <sighs> Chris Ryerson's birthday. No, it's um, the day before. <laughs> I figured it out. Oh, that, yeah. uh, the First Contact is April fifth, so all of the right. Borg action takes oh, place right. on my birthday. So, yeah. That's right, because he says April 4th, and then Picard says, the day before first contact. Yeah, right. but still. Yeah. Best, it's cool. best of the, the, the next generation films, even though Picard's character is kind of from outer space. I mean, he dealt with the Borg years ago. He did not freak out any other time since then, whenever the Borg came mm-hmm. up. And then this one time, he's, he's like, you know, he's just gone full tilts crazy about uh, the Borg. Well, That's why I don't really believe any of the next gen movies are canon. They're just they're just made up fanfic. <laughs> uh, I just like the- this is my number two, Eric. I I I'm with you. Easily the best of the next generation films. Mm-hmm. Not the best Borg story, which remains Q who when the Borg were originally introduced. Yeah, uh, followed by Best of Both Worlds. Um, you know, I, this is part of the like the the continued making the Borg less and less threatening thing that Star Trek failed with, but mm-hmm. but still okay. Alice Creech is the Borg queen. I, 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 okay, I get why from a cinematic standpoint, it's helpful to personify the Borg in their queen, but part of what made the Borg so awesome was that they didn't have that and that they yeah. were unknowable and were a hive mind. Yeah. So it, yeah, but the I still maintain yeah. that the best Star Trek episodes are the ones that sort of admit that Star Trek is basically a weekly hour-long horror show. It's like supposed mm-hmm. to be a terrifying situation and holy crap, we got out of that. And that's why that Borg episode Q who is so good cuz it's fucking scary. I don't know what these things are, but I want to not be around them. And then when you get to the movie, it's like we can't make it that because they have to win. Now, if they'd yeah. have done the Borg like you do an alien movie, that would have fucking rocked. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It was still just dudes in rubber suits. Yeah. Well, um, 
and it, it, all on board the USS Mary Sue because that new enterprise is like unbeatable. <laughs> well, would it surprise you that this didn't even crack my top ten? Nope. No, because the nope. only thing I remember would it surprise about this- you. Yeah. Would it surprise you that on opening day, I saw this two times in a row? No, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I bought a ticket. I walked out. I bought another ticket. Literally the, the old, old original Cine Capri with the huge, huge Ch- screen. Cine Capri. Nice. The only thing I remember about this movie is Riker waxing rhapsodic about the fucking moon. He's like, you can see Tycho City, New Berlin, <laughs> even Lake Armstrong to this day. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? <laughs> <laughs> So you, you, corny. You don't. You didn't like uh, uh, Jordy LaForge telling him, "I actually went to Zephram Cochran High School." Oh God, that's so corny from top <laughs> to bottom. If you're not a Star Trek fan, you're just like, "Eat a dick, Star Trek." This thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it so much. Oh, but you, you do. Yeah, I love Star this Trek movie. Fan, this was about as good as it, it. This was in Wrath of Khan levels of like actually yeah. good movie, yeah. right? Yeah. It's where people oh, finally said, you know what? First officers know how to direct Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Excellent. Quick quick thing. This year, uh, TV shows that had movies. MST3K, Kids in the Hall, Beavis and Butthead, Joe's Apartment. This was like a big oh, year right. for TV shows getting one off. Interesting. How many of those are Viacom? All of them, probably. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Uh, I mean, Joe's Apartment, definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Beavis, Beavis and Butthead. Butthead. Probably yeah. Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, that's my MTV. So Definitely not. Kids in the Hall, probably not. But Kids in know. the Hall, Comedy Central, might have. I, well, I, I think that might right? have actually been um, uh, uh, the Saturday Night Live producer. Uh, yeah, Lauren Michaels. Yeah, that's Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Lauren okay. Michaels. Okay. Yeah. yeah, good reference, Eric. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's so weird. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. So y- you guys go now. I'm I'm gonna go because mine sucks. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got your your one and two have already been covered. Yeah, Mars it, attacks it does not Trek. get better. Um, okay. So number five. So I mean, okay. So my number five is <coughs> gone because it's twelve monkeys. So I guess we're doing something else. Um, okay. So uh, I'll I'll rotate in. Um, I'll rotate in two movies as five and four because the truth is that these are both movies that like my wife was into, and so when when we got together, she's like, "You haven't seen this, you haven't seen this," and so <laughs> okay. uh, one of the, we'll call number five the Muppet Treasure Island, which okay. is primarily because Tim Curry, right? This is Tim I, Curry being awesome. I had a feeling that this would show up for you, Brian. I just felt it in my gut. Yeah, this is this is really for my wife. Okay, <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. have a strong opinion. Yeah, don't for don't think for yourself. Nineteen ninety six sucked, man. Um, <laughs> the number four also something my wife Romeo plus Juliet. So the Boz Luhrmann, yeah, Romeo and Juliet um, with Claire Danes and Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. This and is, this is what put Leo and, on the map before Titanic, and then suddenly he's everybody's big star. Yeah. It's, and, like, it's um, like Baz Luhrmann um, was already impressive, but then he yeah. did this, and it's like, oh, Baz Luhrmann is really impressive. Jesus. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. You know I, I like this if, version. It's not bad. Yeah. If you're going to do the Shakespearean text, but then, you know, jazz it up, like, you could do a lot worse than this. This is, yeah. this is a fucked up cocaine trip of a movie, but, you know. <laughs> it's gorgeous to look okay. at that's for sure i'm good with it i'm good with it I'm, well it's, yeah it's also like the 90s are weird because they did all these strange modernist updates of shakespeare so you had this and then you had like richard the third with ian mckellen set in like a fascistic uh 1930s kind of a deal i mean it was just a weird time for shakespeare 
So, carry on. Hamlet was this year. Yeah, Brand but it's the, it? yeah, but it's it's bloated and long. Well, which, it's the which, full was this the Mel Gibson Hamlet or the or the no, this is the um, Branagh unedited yeah. four hour. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, and it's and it's Branagh as Hamlet, which is just come on, really. Yeah. This is like when he when he's doing Poirot in his uh, Agatha Christie movies. It's like Branagh, come on, man, just come on. <laughs> So I think this was an important film for him because the hubris broke him. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Definitely. definitely. (laughs) No, it's fine. Uh, My number three movie, again, honestly, not a great movie. But for me, it was number three because this was the first time I had gone to an early screening of a movie with unfinished effects. And to this date, I've only ever seen it that way. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. And, And that is The Frighteners. Oh, um, nice. Oh, wow. Peter Jackson's Jackson. movie with Michael J. Fox and Gary Busey's kid. And Jake. Whatever, is, whatever was actually going on in terms of effects, which are probably way better than the movie I saw, what I saw was like animatics at best. Like it was like flat shaded CG just kind of slapped into these shots. So yeah. they're, they're for not- me, I don't. Honestly, know if it's a good movie or not, but it was just it's, a unique film experience for it's, me. It's a good movie, but it's also very like studio because uh, it's yeah. it's a far cry from when Jackson was doing like Meet the Feebles or Bad Taste or any of that stuff. This is a full on like big budget. Let's do some fun thing. Yeah. Uh, it's not. And is ba- this the it's, last Michael J. Fox movie? Really? Uh, that he acting acted in before he like you know, the Parkinson's was a thing. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. That's a good question. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, but you can't beat Shia McBride in the full seventies regalia. <laughs> it's like the disco <laughs> funk ghost. It's pretty good. Right. So you know, and D. So, Wallace Yeah. So yeah, I I honestly don't know how the final movie is, but I I just have a fond memory of having that experience. And then, yeah, number two, Star Trek, number one, Mars Attacks, and Chris, yeah. go well, ahead and tell can't us about Bottle Rocket. In the, oh, sorry. In the Frighteners. <laughs> you bitch. Yeah. Don't forget, in Frighteners also has Jeffrey Coombs, who was a Vorta on Deep Space Nine. So, oh, yeah. yes. Gotta make that Star Trek and, yeah. reference. Jeffrey Coombs was a lot of things on, on yeah. Star Trek in yeah. general. he played like every alien at some point. Yeah. yeah. Well, wasn't uh, Arlie Ermey in this too? Is one of like the, the military yes. ghost? Yeah, okay. I haven't seen it in years. I might have to go back and check it out again. It's fun. It's disturbing. Yeah. It is a disturbing film. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Peter Jackson. What do you want? It's yeah. good times. Ah, uh, okay. All right, so, Chris. So, uh, number five. Well, I'll preface this. These are all the movies that I had that gave me the biggest impact when I saw them. But I also want to preface this by 1996. I was like rooted hardcore in the independent movie thing going on and so that's where my mind was uh so number five was swingers mm-hmm, uh sure with with john favreau and company uh everybody's probably seen scenes from it at least uh eminently quotable it's really fun but it's also as eric says very uncomfortable i saw this with eric in the theater and he fidgeted and moaned and <laughs> covered his face and said no 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 half all through the movie and that's how i knew it was like it was it was what it was supposed to be it was a horror movie right yeah it's very cringy but when you're eric Eric, it's like no 
I, w- I want to get this right because you're you're having that reaction to swingers, but you're like, hey, go check out the White Lotus. So the White Lotus is not cringy. White Lotus is cringy, but it, for somehow it's softer than normal cringe. Like yeah. normal okay. cringe is really, you know, just just unendurable. I think it's because I don't in any way identify with these characters. You know, for yeah. once, I look at them as not me. Yeah. <laughs> so I watch yeah. something like Swingers, and I can see myself trying to ask uh, a girl out over the phone okay. and going, oh, fuck, I'd do yeah. that. I did do that. I see. Oh, Jesus. Yes. The swingers is, I hate myself. I hate my life. I can't yeah. believe I did yeah. that. Okay, yeah. yes. got it. But it's really money, baby. It's really money. Uh, oh, buddy, 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 you gotta see <laughs> swingers. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's still funny. It makes me laugh. I did. It's, it stood the test of time for me. Uh, number four was uh, Flirting with Disaster. Which I don't know if you see that one. It's so good. But that's another cringeworthy comedy. Uh, Ben Stiller finds out he's adopted and he goes on a hunt for his adopted parents and keeps finding all these dead ends, meeting all of these various people that could or could not be his parents. And Hmm. you just get a lot of weird uh, America's fucked up kind of vibes. (laughs) (laughs) It's just hilarious. But it's like, Tia Leone plays the adoption agency rep or whatever who's helping set up these meetings. And then uh, he kind of gravitates towards this really just awkward affair with her, kind of, while his girlfriend is in the mix with him on the road trip. And it's just everything about it. Just you, from start to finish, you're like, don't do that, dude. No, stop <laughs> it. Don't. Don't. Uh, I think just- you do get to see uh, Brolin do like a full armpit lick on yeah. um uh Patricia Arquette. You possibly, yeah. With her I, looking like ew ew. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to the end and it's like Alan Alda and Mary Tyler Moore is just these like f- drugged out, burnout hippie types. It's so weird. Uh but so good. But as David O. Russell, it's his second feature. So he's on the heels of mm. of uh Spanking the Monkey, which that's a very uncomfortable movie. Don't yeah. ever kid yourself. And then this, which is cringy, and then he jumps from this and it's like Three Kings a couple years later. So uh, the rest is history. So it's funny. Uh, number three, I mentioned it earlier, Fargo. It's it definitely got robbed at the Academy Awards. It's the most memorable movie of all of the ones that they nominated, and it's the Coen Brothers basically in high gear. It's you've got the it took regional me so comedy. So many years. To get really? on board with this film, yeah. It, when I first saw it, I was I've like, still never just seen watch? it." Yeah, yeah. I have, but it I have works not seen Fargo. S- it works on such a subtle behind-the-scenes level yeah. that now I see its brilliance. Like I could never understand the lunch with the guy she knew years ago, who then says, "I'm lonely" and wants yeah. to, you know, sleep with her. I was always like, "What the fuck is that doing in there?" But like, yeah. you watch it over and over again, you you realize why it's there. Well, yeah. the whole the whole gist of it is the the Minnesota nice they call it, which is the the hardcore Minnesota dialect, but also just the outward appearance of civility and being polite. Where as you can still see through the eyes of the character, the burning desire to just get the fuck out of this situation or to say this or not, but you, they stifle it and bury it all down <laughs> to be nice. Yeah. And it's and so they, all, funny. All the issues these characters have are born out of their incredible needs that they've had to repress yeah and it's, it's just they finally come out and yeah. she doesn't understand that evil because she's never had to repress anything 
Yeah. And it's just, mm. yeah, from start to finish, it just, it's one of the, the perfect Coen Brothers movies. It's definitely their, uh, I don't know, their announcement into the larger Hollywood scene because this is it's so. There, the apartment. Yeah, basically. Because it's so unlike uh, Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, uh, Miller's Crossing, Hudsucker Proxy. Yet it's all of those movies just mushed in together. You get the flavor. And so it's. It's mm. really just solid. And, and I do believe they knew that when you have the big Hollywood entry, huge film, they knew the whole um, sophomore curse that the film after that is going to suffer greatly. And yeah. for that reason, they specifically made uh, uh, the big Lebowski <laughs> as like an attempt to not make a meaningful film. It's like they yeah. were shooting straight for the bottom and ended up making one of their best. Yeah, hmm. it's definitely the one with the most legs, but Fargo is, is up there and it's, you know, spurred a TV show and the whole nine yards. So Brian, I still, if you've never seen it, you need to watch it at least once because it's just, it's yeah. funny. It's okay. dark. It's, it's crazy. It's like, is it a downer? I guess is no, my question. I mean, there okay. are very macabre moments cause it's a, it's a very black comedy, but it's still got a lot of heart and the characters okay. are very well developed. And so yeah, you I can see check it out. Yeah. So you can see, uh, Oh, what's his name? Uh, William H. Macy is the guy that sort of puts all of the parts into motion. And he's at the same time, just the most deceptive, deceitful asshole, but he's also mm -hmm. guileless. And so he's never quite aware that what he has done has caused all of this other bullshit. And it's just pitch perfect. Mm. Uh, so there's that. And then as we know, okay. train, train spotting was my number one. And then Brian, you called me out for this number two, uh, bottle rocket. Wes Anderson's debut feature. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the few Wes Anderson's I haven't yet. seen. It's so oh. good. It doesn't yeah. have any of his, uh, what we've come to know as his aesthetic. It's, it's sort of the proto Wes Anderson aesthetic. He couldn't but couldn't afford he, it. Yeah, there's no budget. It was like so, so early. Yeah. It's, but it's the, like him being actually from Texas. Yeah. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's basically, it's like uh, breathless, uh, but with a really just ridiculous, uh, yeah. stunted American <laughs> sort of perspective. It's just, there's, yeah. it's so sweet. It's, uh, uh, just, yeah. It's everything I don't really... that it's every reason Owen Wilson is known today is yeah. in this film. Dignity. You know, caw, caw. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're uh. not going to catch me. They're not going to catch a goddamn thing because I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I, yeah. I, God, I love this film. On the road with Johnny Law. Ain't no trip to <laughs> Cleveland. Yeah, he's just Dignan is just such a, a lovable goof in this thing. It's so funny. And I saw, yeah. I didn't see this one in the theater. I caught it on video. Uh, and I watched it like three times in one day. Because I watched it and I was just stunned at how much yeah, I remember I loved you going it. off on it. It was um, so amazing. And then I made Eric watch it. And they got to the part at the end when he says, they can't catch me. I'm innocent. And Eric just lost his mind and just did the, like the laugh cry, <laughs> guffaw, wheezy, just doesn't stop laughing for 10 minutes kind of thing. <laughs> and it was just so amazing. And I'm like, that's the part that you're doing this on? Okay. Uh, but Luke Wilson, very understated. Owen Wilson, very understated. Uh, you know, Bob Maplethorpe, getaway driver, go. You know, it's just so ridiculous. And I love every moment of it. And it didn't make any money, but we got Wes Anderson. So that's what I It did. was the ultimate calling card movie. It's like yeah. that movie made the rounds and everyone wanted to make a Wes Anderson film. 
Yeah. And then the rest is history. Uh, I will say my alternate was that thing you do because sure. that to this day, I will watch anytime I see it on TV. No bones about it, but it didn't quite make the cut. So take that for what you will. So 1996, good year. Brian says the no. year that was. Whatever. <laughs> I say yeah. an overrated year, a slightly overrated year. Yeah, it's kind of when indie sort of peaked, I think. That, and then yeah, that. And then we kind of get all of the Hollywood dreck that comes out of it because that top 10, that's all the wrong lessons were learned from 1996, I think. And it's not until you get to 99 that things kind of become interesting again. Right? Yeah. Uh, nothing? Crickets. Okay. Well, that's when all I got to say. end up getting like big budget. Yeah. So there you have it. A sampling of 96. Take it or leave it. If you like what we said, uh, send us an email. If you don't like what we said, uh, send us an email. We don't really care. That's magnificenthuge at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at MagHuge. We're on Facebook, Magnificent Podcast. We're on Instagram, Magnificent Podcast. We have a website, maghuge.com. Uh, what else am I forgetting? Anything? That's good enough. That's all the stuff. So, uh, I got nothing else. 96. Well, you <laughs>